Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is Freemium Download Podcast host, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? I'm good, but for only $5 a month, I could be great. Oh man, that's exactly what I was I hoping to, for. I try to like have like I don't get time to prepare for these intros, so I've got to think of something quick, you know. No, that was great. That I didn't I didn't tell you what was going on. Side note, Clash of Clans last month came out with a new tier of things you can pay $5 a month for and it like upped their it upped their money intake by 73% or something. Wow! So, so people are just jamming money. It's almost seventy-five percent. <laughs> That's a good point. Speaking of freemium, if you want to go to Patreon.com/slash Roman Circus Pod, you can find our own freemium content. Uh, you can find us at Roman Circus Pod on Twitter. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Zach Mabry. Z A C Mabry. Email us podcast at RomanCircusBlog.com. Go on iTunes. You can rate and review us if you want. It helps the podcast. We appreciate it. We're also on Podbean, Stitcher, and Google Play. All right. Zach, what is in the news, my man? Well, there's a new royal baby. Baby Sussex was born to um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Do Do we have a name yet? No. They said okay. it's going to be a name that unites the U.S. and the U.K. Because Meghan Markle is an American. Um, so I was thinking, I'm like, okay, what do the U.S. and the U.K. have in common? And I was like, okay, um, anti-Semitism. <laughs> Probably not the baby name. Then I was like, maybe they'll go for something positive, like Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. But then, like, Harry's name is already Harry, if you mm-hmm. look it up. And so it's also probably not that. And so I'm not really sure what it's going to be. Failed monetary policy? Uh, <laughs> sure. Down, not what not about... interested in Milo Yiannopoulos anymore? <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a brutal one. Uh, Downton Abbey, Sussex. I don't know. What's the last name? What do, what's Downton the deal? Downton Abbey, yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, um, you know... I'm a monarchist. I, I really do like the queen herself, but her family, I don't want to speak against them and I don't want to call them hillbillies. So I'm not going to, um, <laughs> but I'm just interested to see where this, what they end up picking, but I'm expecting it to be something awful like, um, cash or something. I don't know. You know, like you just kidding. I know a lot of cute mm-hmm. kids in cash, but you mm-hmm. know, white people and the things they name their babies is just, it's a problem. It is a problem, but remember, Meghan Markle went in there to capture the throne for America. Yes, no, she's infiltrating, and we're, um, you know, we're rooting for her. (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) Go get him. Yes, queen. Hopefully you will be queen. Okay, so we have the royal baby. What else we got going on? What else? Well, there was the, uh, the Met Gala. And the theme was camp. And the problem with that is that I don't know any of those words. Like, I don't really know what the Met Gala is, and I don't remotely know what camp means. So mm-hmm. I don't have much else to say about that story, unless unless you can fill us in. I thought, no, I thought they were, were doing it like a, the theme was 
like summer camp where you dressed up like how you would go to summer camp. But then I saw Katy Perry wearing a chandelier and I realized that that was not the theme unless there's a summer camp experience that I completely missed out on. Yeah. I mean, I, my camp wasn't that. Yeah. I'll just, I don't, I'll just, I'll just say it. It wasn't. It was, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whose camp experience was, was like that at all. Yes. Um, did you see we were, uh, wait, did you, do you have any news stories, Matt? Yeah, I have a few. Okay. I have, uh, the online site Redbubble got in trouble because, because they started selling clothes and pillows with Auschwitz on it. Okay. Yeah. That's a, a good reason to be in trouble. Yeah. They allowed products, including throw pillows and mini skirts, featuring images of the Nazi concentration camp. Um, they were, uh, the mini skirt was in, yeah, the mini skirt, the images of a mini skirt entitled chimney were available for purchase of 35 euros as yellow, as well as a throw pillow featuring the infamous railroad tracks, which led millions to their death in Nazi gas chambers. What? Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I Redbubble. I don't know. Redbubble might be one of those places where you can go create your own thing and then have them available for purchase on a broader level. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Redbubble is the host of an online marketplace where independent users take responsibility for the images they upload. We have on-site oh. reporting functions in place and are grateful to be made aware of these concerns. So basically, some well. <clears throat> You see this kind of stuff, and it, it it happens on YouTube. It's similar to the sort of YouTube kids phenomenon, where some mm-hmm. of it may not even be people. It's like algorithms that just kind of pick things up and spit them out onto merchandise. They've had this problem with, like, keep calm and blank shirts, where they've gotten, mm-hmm. like, you know, keep calm and, uh, you know, commit suicide or, you know, something like that. And it's because they're yeah. just picking. I mean, so it may not even be people, but in these it also may be people, and that's that's not cool well yeah no i i would imagine that someone did this and i don't know if they did this as like a troll or if they did this because they really wanted a mini skirt with auschwitz on it but um Gross. yeah right Min- so both that's mini skirts and auschwitz never, never yeah we don't you know i'm uh, yeah we don't <laughs> not saying they're the same we just don't like either right zach um right yeah we're not we're not saying yeah we're not comparing them of course not we're not monsters uh, here's another headline I saw. Warwick schools to serve cold sandwiches to students whose families owe lunch money. This is from the... <laughs> this is from the Providence Journal. And they... Uh, to be fair, I don't... I like cold sandwiches. And mm-hmm. the Subway people are so... Like, they're like... They, they ask you if you want to toast it, but they're already about to. And I'm like, no, don't, no. And so... What, anyway, right. Go on. And you can... Sometimes... Do you... I don't know if you notice like the pain in their eyes when they can't toast your sandwich. Like they really want to like throw it in there for 15 seconds. But anyway, some school, some city schools in Warwick, uh, I think this is Rhode Island warned parents that unless they, they settled their, (laughs) their lunch money debt, their children will be served just a simple cold sandwich for lunch. And uh, yeah, I don't know like what, 
The district has incurred more than $40,000 in unpaid lunches during the budget year that ends June 30th. So, okay, let me say this. Well, we're, we're not talking about a lot of money here then. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you... Well, I mean, really, and plus, that's their price. That's not their cost. Like, I mean, I'm not saying they're marking it up, but well, anyway, I don't know. $40,000? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's one thing, like, obviously, I think that, uh, I do, I think children should get a lunch at school for free, but also, if that's not the case, and I'm sure it's not, like, super expensive, it, on some level, I guess you gotta pay. I don't know, where does the, where does the squish and where does the hardened, hardened heart, cold-blooded man in me come out? Well, I'm gonna say the line, um, the line, uh, allows for, uh, kids to eat. I'm going to just go ahead and say, wherever we're going to place the line, uh, kids are going to be eating. So, I don't know. I mean, in Oklahoma, they just have, like, the free and reduced lunch program. Free and reduced? Yeah. So, like, some people don't pay anything, and some people get, like, these vouchers where they only pay a tiny bit. Gotcha. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Maybe I've just become too influenced by all of our leftist friends but like i mean just feed the kids like i, I guess i don't understand <laughs> what, what we're, i mean there's people you can tax to pay for it yeah yeah maybe i don't know we are our whole demeanor our whole sphere of influence changed in the past week zach so speaking of which you you're going to be on one peter five podcast soon uh talking about yes. our podcast last week about all well, that, and I mean, so. in general, you know, zooming out from that, I think we're going to talk about, you know, issues related to the Holy Father, the mm. the open letter to the bishops that went out, which we talked about in our last episode. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it is a kind of noted disagreement between me, but then also you and our podcast about how to approach issues with Pope Francis and then kind of the rest of the Latin mass Internet. Um, mm hmm. I still think our position is the sort of de facto position for the people who go to the Latin Mass, who, you know, by and large are more focused on, um, you know, praying the rosary, raising their families, you know, taking care of things. You know, they're not engaged in the 24-hour info war against Pope Francis. They're engaged in, you know, becoming saints. And so uh, I'm excited to talk to Steve about it and... um, the the buildup has been fun because um, if you post something positive about Pope Francis, here's what happens on Twitter. Um, <laughs> a lot of people like it, right? Um, and are like, yeah. And then some people really don't like it. Um, and they're and they're like, no. They, well, yeah, yeah. But some of them, it's because they are genuinely concerned about you know doctrine and and issues and they're having trouble understanding what's going on in the church and they're you know i mean i'm not faulting them um but then you get a third subset of people on twitter who just basically are projecting their personal traumas onto you Mm -hmm. and it's like all caps you know screaming calling you a snowflake um it's a lot and so that's where you know i mean yeah we got we got called schismatics by someone who didn't even listen to the podcast and i was like well just give it a shot or you know that woman well it's funny i I, i'm gonna i'll you know listen to the one peter five episode i'll do to 
to discuss more. But, like, guys, the Pope could be, you know, on the wrong side of, of an issue or of this or that. But I can assure you, he's not going to be on the wrong side of a schism. So <laughs> yeah. this isn't that hard. I mean, yeah. you know, again, the the people, I, well, I mean, the the disciples who, you know, observed the crucifixion, I guess John was the only one, wasn't really able to explain it, but he just stuck around. And that's what he's remembered for. So, you know, everyone out there, stick around um, and you'll be fine. I mean, I, I, I agree that the people that have the more technical sided researched arguments in a lot of cases are the ones you know criticizing the holy father and you know contemplating breaking with him um but you know, history tends to favor the uh the vicar of christ so just my two cents there it is you said stick around and i think everyone else should stick around for this interview we're about to play that yes. we, that we just got done recording that was that was very fun so uh, should we get into that let's do it all right zach we are about to (laughs) we're about to do something slightly controversial in the roman circus universe (laughs) we we have we have noted good great dare i say best friend of the podcast caitlin fascista tiwa tolkien she's been on three times she is our resident Lord of the Rings expert, okay, right? We all know this. We we decided to get crazy and bring on a second Lord of the Rings expert just to kind of shake things up a bit, get some <laughs> get some podcast controversy brewing. We're the controversy boys now, Zach. Yeah, we are. Uh, <laughs> so we decided to bring on Scott L. Smith author of Lord of the Rings and the Eucharist. He's also written The Catholic Man Book. He's written a novel called The Seventh Word. And he writes a lot at thescottsmithblog.com. And you've heard him on the Catholic Nerds podcast because they had Zach on a few weeks ago. And it was lovely. It's Scott Smith. How are you, Scott? Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate you letting me nerd out with you a little bit. Well, and you're an official guest because I just said your name three times in the span of 15 seconds. So oh, it's like it's like Beetlejuice, right? Yeah, if they do that, then you have to appear. So okay, if we do that, any of our guests are suddenly on the podcast. You know, like, <laughs> wow. Jake, Jake, but I won't say the third one because he's actually yeah. busy with his kids. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. So uh, why don't you? All right. We said this before. We've said it before, I think, on the podcast. Zach and I do not know a thing about Lord of the Rings other than it exists and some of the character names. And uh, we like the Eucharist. We've said that that's a good thing. So <laughs> yeah. why don't you go on, go tell us a little bit quickly about, before we get into it, like what, what the book is about. Sure. Uh, so... Tolkien said some amazing things in his life about the Eucharist. Um, and specific, he couldn't help but in the Lord of the Rings and in all his writings from Middle Earth, right? Um, he couldn't help but include the Eucharist. And we'll talk, you know, probably talk about it later. Absolutely. Just, he, had, he just had this incredible love for the Eucharist. So, like, the central idea of this book that I wrote is um, 
is given to me by Tolkien himself, he admits that the Lambus bread, mm-hmm. the Elven Way bread, is symbolic of the Eucharist. And okay. if you go into the history of the Lambus bread, um, you start awakening this, uh, all this amazing, all these amazing biblical connections. So, so basically, that was the jump off point. That, right. So and I and I've. I followed the breadcrumbs, right? Oh, hey, Zach, did you get? Did you catch that? <laughs> yeah, okay. all the crumbs. I didn't know if you were with us. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, uh, totally. <laughs> uh, I mean, so I don't want you to think you're just like using sound bites of me from other episodes. So if you want to say anything like super unique, let me know. Right, right. Uh, yeah, just hold up the newspaper next to your face so we know that this is happening today. That'd be kind of funny if, like, you did one and in the background. I was like, "Yeah, cool. Hey, that's awesome." <laughs> yeah. right. It's like weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, a week or two ago, uh, Caitlin sent me some Lembus bread. She had made a bunch, and she, she sent them. Wonderful. Yeah, she sent them to some priests, and I was like, "Hey, can I have the broken ones?" And she's like, "Okay." Uh, it's an interesting. <laughs> just a quick note about Lembus bread. It's it is. It's an interesting bread because there's a lot kind of going on. And it's not, there's not a taste that's necessarily overpowering than the other taste, but you can taste a lot of things, if that makes sense. Like, like the lemon kind of jumps out, but it's not overpowering. You know what I'm saying? It, is it, is it like a foretaste of heaven? Uh, I, you know what? I would hope it's a good that. Good question, Matt. Answer I would, the question. I, I, I would <laughs> hope. No. I would hope no. that uh, <laughs> I would hope that heaven is much better than anything, including Lembus bread. But you know, sure, if it is, I'm I'm fine with it. <laughs> uh, have you had it yourself? Have you like made it, or what's your what's your Lembus bread status? Um, I think so. My Lembus bread experience, we tried, didn't turn out so well. Okay, and it's more like the dwarvish version of the lambas which is called cramp which is more like onomatopoetic it's what you do with the bread you just right. cram it in your mouth and try not to you know taste yeah it. i saw that i saw i saw that in your <laughs> book um okay so one of the things if we're gonna like i guess let's just talk about the eucharistic aspect of the lambas for a second because i it is he it's portrayed as kind of the bread that for the journey right that's what feeds them on this journey right right would um there is a good passage would you want me to to read that or is that by all means uh, whatever if you want that bad bad radio (laughs) if you if that's what you want it's hey it's your book so whatever you want to share is up to you so yeah if you want to read it that's fine um so this is just from uh return of the king from the the chapter mount doom Um, So, yeah. As for himself, though weary and under a shadow of fear, Sam still had some strength left. The Lambus had a virtue without which they would long ago have lain down to die. It did not satisfy desire, and at times Sam's mind was filled with memories of food and the longing for simple bread and meats. And yet, this waybread of the elves had a potency that increased as travelers relied on it alone and did not mingle it with other foods. It fed the will, and it gave strength to endure. 
and to master sinew and limb beyond the measure of mortal kind. So, yeah, I mean, you can just, it's, it's like he's writing almost verse and not, um, uh, his, this narrative about the Eucharist, you know, it's like poetry about the Eucharist. It's pretty, it's pretty tough to deny that that has a connection there, obviously. And it, it, I know you say this in the book, but it's like, kind of like manna from heaven too. It kind of, did you, is that what you said? It kind of resembles that too, in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so Tolkien in his letters, which I I cite in the book, Mm -hmm. um, he, he does say that the, um, Lambus has a religious, even Eucharistic significance. So he makes the connection um, pretty direct elsewhere. But yeah, the the manna aspect is really cool as well because, um, and you know, for those, uh, I don't mean to assume that everybody knows what the manna is, even in scripture, but the manna was the bread from heaven, uh, which you could even say was Moses's greatest miracle that he was able to provide the Israelites with bread and meat, the sure. meat of the quail right. uh, for 40 years, right? In the desert. Okay. 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 But in the movie, he turns his stick into a snake. So I, I'm just going <laughs> to. Yeah. And the, and the that. Nile, you know, turns to blood. So those mm. are pretty cool too. But yeah, 40 years of bread. That's a lot of loaves. You know, that's a lot of wonder bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so the interesting connection is that in Lord of the Rings, uh, well, actually not in Lord of the Rings, in the Silmarillion, you see that the elves had this great journey uh, to the promised land, to the undying lands, and that's where the recipe for the Lambus originally came from. Okay. So it was basically passed down from, like, it, it, I don't know, is there, what, the is the connection there like basically passed down from one generation to another like started i don't again i don't know too much about the 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 yeah. books but like were they on the same journey as frodo and sam and everyone else or were they on there's their journey different yeah there's a different journey so so like the connection is that just as um the israelites went on their journey to the promised land um well, had their exodus, then their journey, then the promised land, so do the elves have to um, exodus, have to flee um, the Middle Earth and take a great journey to Undying Lands. And they're fed, they're sustained on the way by the waybread, both the Israelites and the elves, by mm-hmm. this waybread, which is the Lembus and which is the manna. Okay. Um, the The thing that struck me the most uh is the what it, the head the not the headline the kind of section title is receiving the eucharist unworthily yeah yeah so we all know that we're supposed to receive it in the state of grace and we're supposed to receive it worthily and we have to do everything we can to protect it the the correlation like the the thing in the lord of the rings is talking about Gollum refusing to eat the lembus right and right. that w- that was pretty amazing i i i didn't know that and also even if i had watched the movies recently it might not have even been a connection i would have picked up on uh having you set it up pretty awesomely as far as walking through this to get to this point where you talk about 
Gollum knew that he he didn't want to eat it. He knew he shouldn't have eaten it, and he just basically refused. And he violent he he violently like refuses in a way to not yeah, eat. Like, like it's like it's a very jarring thing for him. Like I and I mean they don't have a lot of food on this journey. For him to refuse is pretty significant, right? Because if I remember correctly, he just eats he like eats fish, right? Like that's right. his thing. Yeah, and yeah. so the and the thing that we find out about Gollum, you know, in the movies and and certainly in the books, is that he um, committed fratricide, right? He's kind oh, of, right. you know, he's kind of like the Cain um, at the uh, in the story that he kills his brother, mm-hmm. so he is obviously in a state of mortal sin. And he, beyond that, he kept doing a lot of bad things, like in the under the mountain and. You know, Mm -hmm. as he was coveting the one ring and, you know, drinking in its poison as well. Sure. Um, His 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 physical shape is the result of all these this terrible stuff that he's been doing. Right. Like. Right. And and he was originally like a hobbit, like one of the he's called one of the river folk. And I think that he I think beyond just the Eucharistic significance, Tolkien is giving us this amazing image of what it is to be in the state, what your soul looks like. In the state of mortal sin. Mm-hmm. You know, you go from these healthy, plump, hairy-footed hobbits, right, to this emaciated uh, wretch. And, I mean, that's, you know, uh, physically we may not change, but our souls, that that's the, the truth of it. And so, yeah, he, and just as they say in 1 Corinthians, um, if he were to eat the Eucharist, the Lembus, he would be drinking judgment upon himself. Wow, drinking drinking death upon himself. At what point in your, at what point did you realize all this in your watching and your reading? Like, did it was it something that took a bit, or did it kind of stick out, or had you read it like had it kind of pieced together by someone else? What what did you? I guess you know when I um, started writing this, um, I started just I just wanted to put out the quotes that Tolkien had on the Eucharist. Because he has some, just some amazing quotes, uh, and I mean, I'll pull up some of those too. They're just awesome. But mm-hmm. he, in following those, like I said, the breadcrumbs, I just kind of went step by step, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" <laughs> you know, yeah. like it just he started. Here's an awesome quote from Tolkien. Uh, you know, sorry to read, um, uh, just read from this, but by all he, means. So Tolkien says, "Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated." I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. And more than that, death. Wow. It's almost like that's where also that's the wellspring for his books about Mm -hmm. glory, honor, fidelity, and even death. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. That that all kind of make, <laughs> makes sense. If he has such an amazing reverence for this thing, that it would that it would shine through in his work. Oh so. yeah, he's just. It just makes you love the man even more. You know. Yeah was this a was was this a was this a thing that you're new to in general? Like when when did your love of Tolkien start? Like did it did it start or how did it coincide the critical with your question Catholic, here? What Catholicism? came first, 
Did you read the book first or watch the movies first? Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I, I watched the movies first, or at least okay. two to- uh, Fellowship and Two Towers. What about what? y'all? Did you? Uh, well, I guess just the movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I yeah. Just well, the movies, I definitely so. watched the movies first. Um, <laughs> and then you know I'm working on step two, or I'm going to get to step two. Right. Yeah. Well, you're I, you're you're of the age of someone who would have watch them like you would have been fairly young when the movies came out not like super young but young enough that you probably wouldn't have read the books beforehand at least that's my that's what my thought is yeah because i was in college i think uh zach i think you're seven years because you're the age of my wife so you would have been like middle school or something probably yeah i remember probably the eighth grade seeing it kind of everywhere Wait, so what year did the first one come out? Two thousand two. Yeah, or maybe two thousand one. Okay, all right. Fair enough. Uh, what? What? How did? What had the? Did it have an impact on your Catholicism, or did were you? What was your? What was your Catholicism like up until that point? Um, at that point, um, my Catholicism didn't really kick into high gear um, until my dad passed away in college. And that, uh, you know, you just, you just start reassembling your, um, thoughts, uh, you know, about everything. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's kind of, I know it's kind of more of an upbeat podcast. I don't mean to, you know, drag us down, but. Hey man, we like, <laughs> we like the real stuff. Yeah. So, um, now, you know, unfortunately, I, th- I mean, good, goodness, if, if they, if, if it had been as much out there as Lord of the Rings was that Tolkien was Catholic and this was such a work of Catholicism, I can't, you know, I can't imagine what that would have, how that could have really helped my, my faith and my development and even apologetics, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, would, it makes it so much easier to grasp the faith if you can associate it with something you love, right? Oh, absolutely. It, so that, I mean, that knowing that just would have, like this book could help someone with their love of both. But if they see all these connections, like maybe it, if it takes the idea of hobbits loving the Lembus bread to make you love the Eucharist, I think that's a pretty good thing. Right. So hopefully that, that does it for someone else. So, yeah. I mean, if, you know, I mean, you have some rabid Tolkien fans out there. If, if you're like, wait a second, I can eat, the Lambus, not just you know like a, a, the the natural Lambus in real life, but the supernatural Lambus in oh, real wow. life. You know, it's it's the like, Lambus of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh my God! Yeah, I never even noticed that Lambus and Lamb are so. Oh man, second second edition. <laughs> yeah, sequel. <laughs> Credit sequel. The Lambus of God. <laughs> but unfortunately, since Zach said it, he'll make you do Lord of the Rings and the Eucharist by scott l smith and zach mayberry so oh, i would sell so many more books if zach's name co-write, was on the cover writer credit <laughs> mm, the internet's most adorable meme that's right i there are no memes about me and if there were they would not be adorable mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so <laughs> what okay so what was the what was kind of the progress i don't want to i don't want to give away your whole book but i would like what oh, is i don't the, mind 
Okay, fair enough. Give it all away. No, but what was the <laughs> what was the, kind of the progression next? Where did this Sure. Where did it take you? Did it take you to like the journey itself or did it take you to more of the character interaction or what? It took me into the uh not into the weeds, but into the trees. Mm. Uh so Lambus bread is wrapped in the leaves of Telperion. Um the Telperion it's this um uh they're you, you you sort of are introduced to them or something like them when you go to Lothlorien and you see Galadriel, um, and you know uh, in the movie that's where uh, uh, Gimli starts you know bickering back and forth with the elves and starts cussing in dwarvish and that sort of stuff Ishkakui or whatever. So if, you know, uh, but the Lambus is wrapped in these leaves that point you to the next stop. The, you know, the next progression, logical uh, next step in the sequence towards the Eucharist. The uh, Telperion was one of the two trees in Tolkien's Eden. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, and this, I mean, it all gets pretty obvious. At, at, I mean, I don't, he's not really hiding the, the ball at all when we uh, get to his Eden. It's called Ezholar. Um, and you have these two trees in it, just like you have the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Um, and just as um, those two trees, or at least the people staying beside them, are attacked by a dragon, right? The serpent uh, being possessed by Satan. You have the two trees that are ultimately destroyed by Melkor and Ungoliant. Okay, Melkor is like is the Satan of Middle Earth and Ungoliant is the like the grandmother or mother of Shelob, that giant spider um, in Mordor that um, you know Frodo uses the light of Erendil to uh, to fight against. So instead of having a dragon possessed by Satan, you've got kind of both of them and separate. You've got Satan plus crazy uh, massive ugly spider. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is you know that's that's tolkien's like oh, i'm gonna make this and he like he uses dragons all over the place so he's he's probably like oh I, my, maybe i overdid the whole dragon thing so let's let's play up the spider angle um but so you, you take that connection back to um eden uh the tree of life is such a eucharistic type uh such a uh, prefigurement of the eucharist um the 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 fruit uh, you have like Saint Louis de Montfort calls uh, the Blessed Mother the new tree of life, right. and and the fruit of the tree of life being the Eucharist, being Jesus Himself. You know, it's just very very rich um, typology there. Um, but then you have a very meticulous. Uh, it's Tolkien doesn't really follow the. I mean, he does. He follows the the the, uh, the genealogies of the elves from that point, but he also closely follows the genealogy of the trees. And these trees ultimately uh, are tied up into the kingdom of men. And I don't know if y'all remember uh, the knights like Faramir, Boromir. They wore on their chest, on their breastplate, the tree of Gondor. Okay. Y'all remember the tree of Gondor and everything? I That's mean. It. I mean, and vaguely, I, I, vaguely enough, enough, not enough to know where you're, what you're talking about. And so, the tree of Gondor is a descendant of Telperion. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, let me race ahead a little bit and maybe, if we have time, we can go back and just flesh this out. Cause we got all the time in the world. Wow, that's so much time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, the Tree of Gondor, um, th- one of your biggest prophetic themes of the Old Testament um, you know, you have from Isaiah that the virgin shall conceive, but one of the uh, the prophets, several prophets, um, spoke about the the shoot that will uh, the branch that will mm-hmm. shoot forth from the stump of Jesse. Do y'all um, remember? Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, so the stump of Jesse, Jesse being David's father. Um, so the stump of Jesse being that Davidic, the line of kings of Israel. Mm-hmm. You know that was cut down with the um, with the Babylonian captivity, and then the Jews were sent into exile, right? And in the same way, the kingdom of men, the Dunedain, like Aragorn, is is called Strider because his people are scattered, divided, leaderless. You know, is the quote from the movie. Um, so start thinking about King David. What is one of the first things King David did to rise to prominence? There was this massive Wait, giant giant of a man. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because you had you had Goliath who was six foot, and then you had David who was five foot eleven. And... <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh man, there's there's such an amazing connection with David and the five smooth stones of the slingshot. Have y'all heard of that one? That, no, uh, in the in the Lord of the Rings? No, no, I'm getting it. I'm. This is a tangent, but that right. The, Let's go on it. The the sling of David, you know, his slingshot. He had five smooth stones. Right. <clears throat> um, those five smooth stones were the five decades of the Rosary. Whoa! Oh! In that in that just awesome. That's pretty amazing. And he slayed him. Yeah, love he's, it. That's he's, so great. And so so you know back to the. Um, Thor of the Rings. Well, I just love thinking of like Goliath's like dead, and everyone's like dancing around, like yes, yeah, and like and the then... head of Goliath, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do we see in Lord of the Rings um, this future king uh, taking up his sword or his slingshot and killing a giant? And that's Isildur, son of the king. He cuts the ring from Sauron's hand. Sauron, this giant figure, right? Mm-hmm. And just so the the connection between Isildur and David is very rich. Um, you know, Jesus is the son of David. Um, Aragorn is going to be the the heir, Isildur's heir. Um, Isildur is going to get the ring, right? And he's going to have his great sin of not destroying the ring. You know, Elrond, uh, Agent Smith, right, in the movies, he's like, cast it into the fire, you know, and he doesn't. And he keeps it for himself, and he holds on to that that sin, just like David. You know, he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. Oh right! And, and instead of illegal, yeah, <laughs> not cool, man. And instead of you know, he looks back, and then mm-hmm. it, instead of, and he could stop even there, but no, he's got to take Bathsheba's husband, what Uriah the Hittite, throw him and, on the front lines. Yeah, get his men to recede, so he dies, and so he has him, has her for himself. You know, the, the sin proceeds. Um, you know, at least he took a stance against divorce. 
<laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Sorry. He's like the the King Henry funny, as much as he's a King David, right? Try, Zach's trying to delete. Zach's trying to delete. Yeah, didn't say it. <laughs> so so yeah, you have this great original sin of of the kingdom of David, which affects everything after. And the northern and southern kingdom eventually, you know, separate. Northern kingdom gets ransacked. Same thing happens in Lord of the Rings. There's a northern kingdom of men and a southern kingdom of men. The northern kingdom is laid waste, and it's just a southern kingdom that's left. On, and on the east side, you've just as you have the River Jordan and the Sea of Galilee, um, and the west side, you have the Mediterranean. Same arrangement in Lord of the Rings. You've got the, the great river, the Anduin, on the east side, you know, connecting the two. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Okay, so this kind of brings up a point that I wanted to talk about. He Tolkien's on record as saying that the Lord of the Rings is not an allegory. Right. But it very clearly is. Even and if I, he do, even if he doesn't want it to be and even if people will be upset with me saying that it is. But like how what do you think is do you think it's just that he like he clearly loves all this so much that it just could, he couldn't help himself, right? It just had completely bled through and became what it is. I I agree. Like what we were talking before, and the, the you know the more you attempt to repress your Catholicism, the more it imbues everything, mm-hmm. right? You you anything you love, but I I don't even think necessarily he was repressing it. I think people were asking him the wrong question. Oh wow. <clears throat> Okay. Because they were always asking him, okay, the One Ring, it's an allegory for the nucle- nuclear bomb and World War II, right? And he's like, no, it's not that. <laughs> and, uh, and I think he uh, got sick of that question because they're always, they're just like, you know, Wizard of Oz, you know, was allegorical for a turn of the century. Like, they're always trying to overlay that on his writing. They're constantly trying to make. Um, and he he also denied. Um, of course, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name, but um, he said these are just stories he told people at the hardware store he was working in, <laughs> and with Wizard of Oz. And I mean, it it does, people talk a lot about how it. Um, it when we had, I'd read or write a whole paper in school yeah. about how it was an allegory, the book, not the movie, because they make a lot of changes just for entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Um, but he swore up and down it, it wasn't. So yeah, L. Frank you know, Baum, possible to yeah. tell. So that's it. So bomb.com. So you think <laughs> E-bombs world? He mm. uh, <laughs> Oh man, that's pulling that's reaching back. Awesome. Yeah. He uh so you think what happened was he got so upset that people were missing the point and actually didn't realize what it was that he just kind of put his foot down. He's like, "Listen, if you guys aren't going to get it, then I'm not going to just spell it out for you." Yeah, I I think cuz I, that you see it, and you can see it happening in his letters. Um, you know, the people that you know were true fans and and asked him the right questions. He he said straight up that yeah, it the Lambus bread is religiously significant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think I mean it's just like anything in today's media. You know, people uh, slant things the way they want to see it. And they don't they don't care what the author is trying to say. They want to just see how this fits into the greater media narrative. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing new about that. No, that's fair. Yeah, because it's just so. I mean, I get I get the frustration, and I get why on some level he wouldn't call it just a straight up allegory. But it's just it. 
and I didn't even think. Well, when I was watch when I was watching the movies, which you know, or I don't know how much allegory would f- come through there, but it doesn't seem like it, right? But as soon as as soon as one thing is mentioned, and as soon as a few things are knocked down, then it just opens up to this giant world of of being all about the faith. Yeah, and and you know, and he he's true that it's very true that it's not a formal allegory. You know, mm-hmm. like Pilgrim's Progress, or you know, right. like the the classic allegories of Christianity. You know, or even Dante, right? Animal Farm. Yeah, <laughs> that's just got Christianity written all over it, all in red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I uh, mean, Our Lady of Fatima talking about Russia. Nope. Now I'm reaching. <laughs> Continue. So, I was gonna say, uh, Tiwa Tolkien. She, Caitlin says he called it applicability. Right, he does. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you had I, to I, distinguish from formal allegory. Because, yeah, I ha- and that kind of distinguishes from his buddy, right, C.S. Lewis, who's mm-hmm. you know, much more like, yeah, Aslan is Jesus, just straight up. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They. Uh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. It. It. What would okay? So for for a couple of dummies like us, <laughs> uh, if you where would be? How would you actually? Let me completely wipe that first part away and start on a different question. For someone who's not Catholic, and for someone who does not appreciate or think this has to do with Catholicism at all, what would? What's the first thing you would point to to try and argue your point oh, that's would it be really the good would it be the lembus because it's hard because that's a hard thing because yeah. they would have to believe in the eucharist and the presence of the eucharist right so it's it that whereas that could be like a thing that drives home your point it might not be the best thing to start off on and yeah you're right because people's knowledge of eucharistic theology is no bueno right especially Mm -hmm. you know in protestant circles right right Um, so i I, you know i think you have um you definitely have christ figures Mm -hmm. um i would say three major christ figures um you've got uh the end of the one that it's probably the most obvious since the even one of the books is called The Return of the King. Um, and he's so messianic in his approach is Aragorn, uh, you know, whose mother is depicted in Marian sorts of ways. The prophecy of his coming um, is that he would have the hands of a healer. Um, but that might seem like the most obvious one. But then you've got Gandalf mm-hmm. who who dies he dies he he dies then falls for about three days into the pit (laughs) yeah yikes (laughs) and then he rises again and 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 when he comes back he's transfigured right and it's like you know i have not yet ascended to my father do not touch me kind of thing you know so uh, he, it's is so it, rich. He goes. He goes from Gandalf the Gray to Gandalf the White. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. like a transfigure. You know, he's got his three friends with him in the transfiguration. Wow. Okay. I mean, so yeah. I mean that that would probably be the best way to 
get Christians who are not necessarily Catholic to think about things like that. It, uh, That's the real tea. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, what, uh, what, what, what's, what are your thoughts? What do you got cooking in that Lord of the Ring brain, Lord of the Rings brain right there? Well, okay, when you have something just like of such a just huge magnitude as the whole Lord of the Rings, um, I hate to say franchise because that's such like a, <laughs> a tacky term, but like MCU. The, the universe, <laughs> yes. Um, what do you think is the best like entry point to Tolkien? Like, where would you say if somebody's like, I really do, you know, I, I haven't really, you know, maybe I've casually seen the movies or, you know, this or that, but like, wh- what's the best way to just get started? What's step one? Oh yeah, okay. There, there. That's a good question too. I'm, I think. I mean, y'all's step one uh, seems to be. We all had this first step one. You know, watch. I think Peter Jackson uh, did a because uh, you know you read books and they're never they never match the scope of your imagination. But Peter Jackson did about as good a job as I think anyone ever has. Mm-hmm. And and he didn't um he didn't obliterate. Uh, all the Catholicism from it. He even added some pieces. Uh, like when you see a statue of Aragorn's mother that looks could, they probably just bought it out of a Catholic bookstore, you know, statuary store, and they're like, oh, that's Aragorn, Aragorn's mother. But it's the Blessed Virgin. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movies are a great gateway, <laughs> gateway drug to the rest of Tolkien. Yeah, they're so epic. They, it, Maybe because I didn't... Okay, this is... I don't want to give away my dumbness as an overall human. I've given away my dumbness on Tolkien, but <laughs> I didn't I didn't have a real appreciation for reading until I got out of school because I just... Assigned reading was just not a thing that I cared to do. Sure, sure. So when the when the movies were coming out, they were right... It was right after... Right I think right at the end of my high school life going into college. So I was, I was basically like, yes, I will, I will take this action packed screen time and I have absolutely no desire to follow it up with any sort of reading. Um, so I think I missed out kind of on, I like, I, I always wonder if I would have backed the movies with the books, how it would have turned out or if i would have had this overall giant appreciation for it but now i feel like i need to go i really do need to actually read the books i mean i i love the books um I, and, and it, you, you kind of see two groups of people that they love they all these people love the movie but half are like oh those books i just cannot get through them and they're half are like what are you talking about i just read them for the 50th time you know mm-hmm so I, I loved him. I think it does bring a lot of people who aren't, you know, big readers. It it is one of their first books that they really uh, begin their love of reading with. You know that that journey. It's a dangerous road going out your door, <laughs> reading Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Zach, was that a, an acceptable answer to you? Yes, that was very helpful, and I hope that's helpful to all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I do, too, because I, I feel like uh, someone else could have given a much better answer to that. Not the two of us, so you're the, <laughs> you're, the best one in, you're the best one with a microphone on this show to do that. I mean, it's hard to approach something that's just such a big thing, and like a lot of people have already you know, 
consumed all the Tolkien that's out there and you're like, how do I, you know, if I'm a newbie, like how do I, how I mean, do I start this? I think I would advise anybody that's just knee deep in uh, Game of Thrones right now, which is not a holy place to, to be. To get right to confession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to, you know, there would be no Game of Thrones without Tolkien. And if you want to find find out the true blood of this of this story like the um the just the the milk and honey of these of what game of thrones was supposed to be mm-hmm. you know it, it would be a breath of fresh air to read lord of the rings does did george r r martin as he said that tolkien has had an effect on game of thrones is that like a thing that's he's talked about um i'm assuming i he he Tolkien created this whole subgenre of fantasy adventure mm-hmm. like um i mean you see hints of it in classic literature like pilgrim's progress or something like that you see hints of it in classic catholic literature basically but um as, in terms of a modern subgenre he he invented this mm-hmm. you know with you know like there'd be no dungeons and dragons you know like There'd be no, <laughs> there'd be no Eureka's Castle. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's this is crucial, right? <laughs> Do you remember that one? Yeah, remember Eureka's Castle. I don't with the, remember the it. puppets or Muppets or whatever yes. they were. <laughs> they were real, but it was so good. <laughs> another um, amazing because uh, another amazing gateway to Tolkien is Shakespeare, um, specifically Macbeth. There's some amazing connections there. Love Macbeth. Is that so, are we like are we thinking are Macbeth we Macbeth must become king? Right. Are we of Scotland really? Do we have your sequel? Do we have your follow up? <laughs> it's in, the... it's in there too. I have um, there's a chapter called the theology of the ints. Mm, okay, and that's what that's about. Do y'all remember in Macbeth, um, Burnham Wood marches on Dunsinane Castle? Like the... I no, I remember. Uh, Sports stats from 1990 <laughs> to 2019, Scott. <laughs> so if you if you say, do you remember, and it doesn't involve basketball, football, baseball, to an extent hockey and tennis, then the, and the Olympics, the answer is probably no. Okay, 2004, <laughs> Curse of the Bambino. <laughs> right. Yes. I now you're now we're talking. <laughs> but anyway. Tolkien himself said that's where he got the idea for this these woods marching on castles and like devouring people. Um, but the crazy thing is that Shakespeare, where he got the idea for Burnham Wood marching, was from the Bible. Really? Uh-oh. Yeah. So and even it, when Tolkien isn't using the Bible for something, he's still using it indirectly. Exactly. I feel like he's like, what? Shakespeare's um, taking some of the Bible. I'm going to use that too. You know, mm-hmm, I'm going to mm-hmm. add that to my collection. So, and in the, the the scene in the Bible that it comes from is um, after King David dies, right? To come back to King David, um, you know, his sons are fighting for the kingdom to, you know, succeed him. And while it ultimately goes to Solomon, Bathsheba's son, um, Absalom was one of the leading contenders because he was this tall, you know, I think they described him as, like, beautiful guy. And he had this, like, long, flowing hair, which 
did not work out well for him because as he's riding in the woods, that long, beautiful hair is caught up in a tree and he's hung and, oh, he, no. and he dies. And so that was Shakespeare's inspiration for these woods attacking. Um, and, uh, and, and Absalom is also a type for Christ because he dies hanging on a cross or hanging on a tree. Mm-hmm. Man. There's there's a whole lot going on. Oh yeah, I and I appreciate y'all letting me you know just go nerd out on this stuff. No, that's hey. no, it's fun. I, I I like I like just the authentic like you're just into it, you know. And I I I see how that it just shows in the book. Zach and I have never been into anything <laughs> as much as you've been into Lord of the Rings, and that's a and that is a compliment, my friend. Oh, well, I appreciate that. All right, so let's. Let's round this out here. What I don't know. What what what's going on at Catholic Nerds Podcast? Give us a quick give us a quick update on what's going on over there where people can find you. Give us all the all the oh, link details, all the dirty dirty details. <laughs> all the deets. So, yeah, like you had said, my blogs, the scottsmithblog.com. Um, I'm actually doing a cross promotion for this book with T with Tolkien with Caitlin okay. over there. Um and you can so there's the blog connection you can find the book on amazon you can find it um at holywaterbooks.com the publisher um catholic nerds podcast we're doing um we just had doug johnson on abby johnson's husband who is really fun but because they just came out with unplanned right um which you know now they're like they have a movie about their lives (laughs) which is they're super cool people anyway and just amazing lives. But then our next episode, we're going to have Dr. Petrie on, Dr. Brant Petrie. He right. wrote the uh, Jesus and Jewish Roots of the Eucharist, which really informed. Excellent. Yeah, which is just awesome. And Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that one's everywhere. Yeah. He, he was my professor, and that's what really informed my understanding of the Eucharist. Um, but he's going to come on to the podcast and talk about Star Wars. <laughs> right. Yeah. You might as well, if which, you, which Star Wars? Um, all, well, kind of the, the myth arc of Star Wars. Like, you know, someone that's so well steeped in theology, we're definitely going to talk about, like, the virgin birth of Star Wars. You know, just all the the Catholic overlaps and stuff. But also the trailer, right? For Since this will be our ninth episode, we want to go over the trailer for... Uh, rise of the sky rise of was it the rise of the skywalker. rise of skywalker yeah pretty excited zach, about that zach what they do at catholic nerd podcast is they uh they have certain episodes line up with certain relevant things that could line up with that episode number so we should probably take a cue and start looking into things like that i have some ideas for uh, an episode that's going to pop up Sometime in uh, in June. Nope. Ill- nope. Sorry, we're cutting this. Zach is <laughs> Zach is gone. It's, it's a solo podcast from here on out. Also, to be fair, Scott said that they really only had this planned out for episode nine. So I think maybe <laughs> I'm giving him a little more credit than he deserves. Wait, which I mean, episode was I? Remind me the number. We were five. We were looking at that um, beforehand. Let's say five. See, if I'd been four, we could say, "Oh well, you know, Little Rascals came out in 1994 when Zach was four. Oh, oh wow. that's right. But you know what we did was episode five, which is Empire Strikes Back. We said the Little Rascals Strike Back. 
Ah. Which really wasn't as clever as I was hoping hoping it would be, but we got the little rascals in there. If we had said Zack strikes back, that would have been really cool. Zack does strike back, so Zach watch out. Zack strikes back. When, when, when I come back on, when you guys have me back on. Yeah, yeah, okay. Perfect. I was still saying, after I hung up, after I was done talking to you guys, I was like, I really want to fly to Louisiana and just like hang out with them. Like These are the funnest people. Please, please do, because that would just make our, yeah, our year. Y'all just come out, we'll get you some good food. And oh, I'm a really picky eater, so we're gonna have to stick with with basic things like hot dogs. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I would love to. It'd be fun. Yes, please. Any anybody stopping through Louisiana, please come and uh, check us out. All Let's right, see. the book is The Lord of the Rings and the Eucharist. He is Scott L. Smith. What is Where your... can they find the book? Well, yeah, what is I, Amazon? Is it on Amazon? It is. Also, you can go to HolyWaterBooks.com. Okay. Okay. Good. Perfect. Amazing. Where can they find you on Twitter? At ScottSmith81. And we've already said they can listen to you on the Catholic Nerd Podcast whenever you guys post. Right, right. Yeah, thank you all so much for helping me uh, say all that. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> it was fun. This was a good conversation. Definitely. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Definitely. Thank you all so much. I had, had tons of fun, and you all were so generous to let me nerd out. There it is, Zach. Scott Smith gracing us with his presence it was a lovely interview we it's fun to talk a lot of people would say we don't know much on this podcast and they may be right but it's fun to talk about something we definitely don't know much about uh in tolkien and lord of the rings it's nice to like you know it's nice to learn stuff and it's nice to keep us on our feet and all that we, uh, we like his work and we like to bring um you know Caitlin or Scott on just as a a token of our appreciation. Amazing. All right. What a we need to we need to wrap this up before yeah, we get too loopy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh quick saint of the week. Let's do it. This is Saint Antonin Antoninus of Florence. Antoninus of Florence. Mm-hmm. Dominican friar. Archbishop of Florence. He was born Antonio Pierozzi. Pierozzi. Excellent. He's and the he, guy. He played Zorro, right? I think, yeah. No, he played catcher for the Dodgers. There it is. Uh, he was canonized May 31st, 1523, by Pope Adrian VI. His major shrine is the Church of San Marco in Florence. His feast day is May 10th. He is the patron of, let's see, of Turin, of the University of Santo Tomas Graduate School, Manila. Oh, grad school, gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's the patron of uh, Manila in the Philippines. And uh, let's see here. What else do we got about him? He had a great reputation for theological learning. And it assisted as the papal theologian at the Council of Florence. Interesting. He, <laughs> yeah. His writings reflect a pronounced awareness of the problems of social and economic development. Kind of like uh, school lunches, I think, Zach. He yeah, argued. I what the saints think about if we should let the kids eat, even if their parents haven't paid $2. <laughs> he argued in his writings. 
that the state had a duty to intervene in mercantile affairs for the common good and the obligation to help the poor and needy. His viewpoint on the vanity of women's dress made concessions to the social status of women of high birth or married to holders of high office. So, Sounds uh, like a squish. Yeah. So I guess he would come out in favor of letting the children eat their lunch. Radical, radical position. Radical dude. So there you go. St. Antonis. Antoninus of Florence. Gosh, one of these days I'm going to learn how to say any word correctly. Just one. One one word is all I really care about. I believe in about. you. You can do it. He'll, pray for us even if we mispronounce your name, our dear saint. <laughs> I know. All right. All right, Zach. Uh, anything else before we wrap this up? Nope. I think that's it. All right, gang. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week. See ya.